Good morning or afternoon and welcome everyone to the Beautiful Invitation 2022 conference. We are beginning and we will continue to admit people as we go, um, but I just want to quickly introduce myself. My name is Jenny Chilton and I am one of the eight ladies who is on the leadership team for Beautiful Invitation and we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. A Beautiful Invitation by Watch and Walk is a group that seeks to help empower women to know their worth and to equip women to bear witness to Jesus in word and deed. This year's conference is organized by us, our, the BI team, and we are going to explore the question of where Christian women find their identity and how Finding our identity in Christ can enhance our engagement with popular culture and with the world. Um, we will also go ahead and post the conference um, schedule into the chat and so that you guys can see what, what the plan is for today. Um, the plan is that we will have three different people who are sharing today and who are sharing pre-recorded or something that they've prepared. And then we will have um, three other women who are sharing answers to questions. Um, and so that that's kind of the format. And then we will end with a question and answer time. Um, and so let, let's go ahead and open this morning um, in prayer. Everyone would, would bow their heads and close their eyes with me. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be able to come together across um, the world in this digital space this morning in order to hear a word from you about who you have created us to be. God, I pray for each and every woman who is in this space and for those who will watch the recordings later that you would speak a word to her, that her heart would be open and that she would hear all of the things that you are telling her about her worth, about her identity, reassuring her that you love her deeply. Lord, may all of the, the pieces of this conference um, go well, but more than anything, may you be honored, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to begin with an original song um, by one of our beautiful invitation ladies named Yvonne. Yvonne, if you will um, quickly unmute yourself and just wave to the ladies. Hey. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited to be here today. I hope you'll be blessed by the song that was inspired by the scriptures that remind us of who we are in Christ. Be blessed as we listen. Thank you and bye-bye. So you loved me and made me your own 
Even when I turned away from you, you still saved me. Why you left the beauty of your throne and gave your life for me that I might live? I would never know. I could never understand. But one thing I know, one thing I believe, is that I'm defined by your love. My identity is in you. My identity.
suspicious I have thoughts about me I could never ever count them They outnumber the grain of sand Lord, I'm amazed by your love How precious are your thoughts about me Amen. Thank you so much to Yvonne for creating and sharing that beautiful song about who we are in Christ and our identity being in him. We are, as she said in her song, um, God's thoughts about us are precious and we could never, ever count them. We have heard many truths about who we are in Christ and our identity from this beautiful song that Yvonne shared. Um, with us this morning. And so now we are going to hear from another one of our beautiful invitation ladies who is going to share with us a little bit more about this question of what does the Bible say about who we are in Christ? Um, so Solange is in Rwanda and I will ask her now to come on and say hi and to share, share her answer to this question with us. Hi everyone. Um, I'm Solange, as Jenny said, and uh, I'm one of the BI ladies. Uh, I just graduated from Baylor and came back to Rwanda, and that's all I can say about myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
uh, we are talking about a very important question. I guess I can say it's the most important question in life. And it's a question that not, when we do not explore it from the biblical point of view, we end up living a life we're not supposed to be living as Christians. So I'm really excited and grateful for the BI ladies for um, giving me this opportunity to talk about it. And I, uh, I want to go straight to the word of God. I, I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 17, the NIV version. Um, so it says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Let me say a little bit um, um, about the context of Second Corinthians. Paul, as we all say, had different missionary trips where he would go to places, preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus, and then he would plant a church and then go on with mission. I could keep staying in correspondence with different churches that he had um, uh, opened in different locations. And I would say that when I read these letters he kept sending to churches, at some point it feels like, or it seems like the church in Corinth was the most troublesome church that he had to deal with. And in this particular passage, he is addressing a problem of false teachers or people who came after him and starting uh, undermining his authority. He started telling uh, people, new um, preachers came and started saying, Paul is not such a, a eloquent speaker. He's not such a, um, they started talking him down, saying that he's not worthy of being an apostle. In his defense, he wrote a letter to them. He had written the first one, which was addressing different issues. But in this one, one of the things that come, come uh, that he talks about ever and again and again is trying to defend himself and telling them that his apostleship is not based on ex external credentials or external things that people see and admire. It's based on the power of Christ and the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus's resurrection. So that's where these words are written. That's the context these words are written from. So I would say, I would point out three things that he says in these verses. And then because we don't have so much time today, I will just stick on one of those three points and then I will end and the, someone else will take over from there. Uh, the first thing he says in these verses is that because Christ died, and he died for all people. Those he died for, and the purpose of his death was that people would no longer live as they used to live, living just to satisfy their own desires, their fleshly desires, living a sinful life. It's that two people can live a new life so that people can be transformed. That's one of one, the first point he makes. And then the second point he makes is that 
because Christ died himself and those he's writing to, they shouldn't regard people or judge people or give people value based on uh, a human point of view or based on human standards. He said, we do no longer regard people based on who they are physically, based on their background, based, based on their family, based on their wealth, based on their fame. We, we regard people in, with, in a new light, with new lenses. That's the second point he makes. And then the third point, he says that the reason we do that is because when someone is in Christ, he is a new creation. They are not who they used to be. They are a new person. The, the, the old has gone and the new has come. This concept of newness in Christ, this concept, concept of becoming a new person, pops up in Paul's letters everywhere. I guess every letter he will make sure he, make, he reminds people that they are no longer who they used to be, that they are a new self. And he speaks, of, he speaks those words, he presents a concept in different contexts. Like in, in Romans can mean a different thing in, in Galatians and in, 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 in Corinthians. But here he's talking about newness that comes with changing of your mindset, changing of the, the standards you use when you evaluate, you evaluate others or when you judge others and even when you judge yourself. He gives an example of himself, of how he used to be an old person and now he's a new self based on changing of, mindset, of his mindset. He, talk, he said, talks about he used, how he used to regard Jesus. Before he encountered Jesus, he never had a high view of Jesus Christ. He thought of him as a guy from Nazareth, a very humble uh, place, and um, a guy who was, not from, uh, who was from a lowly origin, uh, who lived with lowly people, outcast people, and who would go to people who are not very valued, so much valued in, in society. The guy who died a very shameful death on the cross and was killed as a criminal. So that was his point of view. That's how he regarded Jesus from a human point of view. And here we uh, guess probably we know that the Messiah that was expected by Pharisees and Jews and people of his own um, uh, race was a Messiah who will be who will come in a grandiose power and uh, glory, who would come and overthrow the Roman government and uh, um, install, uh, establish the 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 Israel's uh, the, the Jewish authority again. But that's not what happened. So for a long time. Paul persecuted the church because he thought the Christians have, have had the wrong foundation. They, did not, they had the wrong Messiah. But when he encountered Jesus, his mindset changed. He started seeing and understanding a Jesus whose loneliness had power, power to give life, power to, to, to save, power to bring salvation, power to bring the Gentiles and Jews together to be one people. And I want to know nothing but the power of Jesus, of his resurrection. He came to see what was uh, weak and, and not that appealing to be the source of Jesus, the, the source of Jesus's power. And so, um, a changed mindset. So if, if Paul was to say who he was in Christ, he would say, I'm a new self in Christ. And what I mean by that is that I have a new mindset. 
I'm a changed person. I do no longer see people based on how lowly they are or the external um, uh, qualifications. I now see what is inside, the power of Jesus, the work of Jesus in their life, who God had made them, which is a new person, which is a new, a new uh, family in, in Jesus Christ. So that was Paul's uh, new identity. He, he was a new self. And, uh, and he, 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 he keeps presenting this concept over and over again uh, because he knew that for the people in Corinth and other churches he wrote to, for them to live a different life and to be new creatures, they had to change their point of view. And the reason why it was important for someone to, under, to, to view others in a different, uh, with a different perspective is because the way you view others that's 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 the basis of sometimes sometimes the basis of how you view yourself because you know it's it's human to compare yourself and most of the time you or so, let's say in comparison some some of the times you see yourself as a higher as with, with, with you view yourself with higher standards based on others around you you see others as lowly or you're smarter than them you are you know, more beautiful yourself as higher or yourself as low, and you see them as higher in terms of these external uh, credentials and things that are seen. That was the reason why for the church in Corinth to, 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 to understand Paul's authority, they had to view him in a different light. That's what he, I think that's what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to think of him as someone who is not powerful as humans would judge him, his power, but who is powerful because of what Christ has deposited in him and the work and his life and the way he lives, he, he lives out his faith. So this, this is a, a very important thing for us as Christians to understand, for us to live out our new identity of being our new, to change the, the way we think about, about ourselves. Amen. Thank you, Solange, yes, so much for... Thank you so much for sharing about about who the Bible says we are in Christ from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. Um, yeah, we are, we're new creations, as you said, and um, that's a really insightful point that to, to live as new creations, we also have to have our point of view, our perspective about others shifted. Um, so those are, those are some really, really wonderful things for us to continue to think about and to continue to reflect on. Um, today and even as we walk away later from this conference. Um, we are now going to hear from um, Manuela. She has created a spoken word piece for us. She says that her, her background noise is a little loud, so she's not going to unmute and wave hello, but she is here. Um, so she can hear or answer any questions that you guys have in the chat um, for her about her spoken word later on in the program. So we are going to go ahead and move on now to her spoken word piece. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the bats in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man 
became a living being. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Google Hey, Manuela, how can I help? What is a woman? This is the definition of woman, an adult female human being. If only there were a string of words worthy to be called a definition. Words that would sum up woman last of God's creation. That would be a revelation, perhaps even give an explanation to woman being taken out of man, then made one with man, and marriage made the first institution. Let us make man. And so the trying God made man in the likeness of their fellowship made male and female for companionship. The multifaceted God expressed through flesh, man and warm man, functionally different, yet one before God. Woman, delicately and beautifully crafted, made in his image before sin's corruption subjected you to damage. God's beauty and compassion in bodily expression, his awesome creation for whom he slayed the lamb, his son, before the world's foundation. The world cannot give you a definition. The universe did not determine your existence. He made you after his likeness. Before light was called out of darkness and the stars kissed the night, you were his delight. Before your bones were formed and knit together with flesh and sinews, he had ordained your days and called you to sing his praise. Know this and know your place. You are his earthly representative who must not conform to the world's narrative. His light in a crooked generation, his special possession, who should embrace her God-given destiny and identity and not be swayed by the world's theories and ideology. Woman from birth, woman till death, the Creator's original masterpiece unaltered. So though the pressure mounts, and some days it seems there is no evidence of His presence, we lean on His Word, which is all that counts. And rather than mask insecurities with layers and layers, we clothe ourselves with strength and dignity, guarding our hearts with His wisdom. Womb men, gestating the purposes of God, and birthing forth in glory and brilliance, so if lately you've been feeling worthless, this is your reminder that you've got God. You're limitless. Amen. Thank you so much, Manuela, for that beautiful reminder of how we have been created by God, that we as women are special possessions who are called not to conform to the world. There are so many beautiful lines in that spoken word. I uh, wish I could remember them all, but the line about just stating God's purposes and bringing forth um, a new creation into this world is, is beautiful. And I think connects well to Solange's point about the fact that we 
are called to be new creations. We're called to bring forth God's new purposes into this world. Um, We will now hear um, from a woman who is not able to be here with us live this morning, um, but she submitted a video for us to um, benefit from. Her name is Dr. Andrea Turpin, and she is an associate professor of history and the director of the graduate program at the history department of Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And she is answering this question of, so we're often tempted to find our identity in comparison to others in our culture, as Solange mentioned earlier. So we ask questions like, does my body type or my intelligence or my humor or my wealth, does that affect the way that God sees me? And so we will now hear a short um, video from Dr. Andrea Turpin about what what it means to find our identity um, in Christ. Hello, my name is Dr. Andrea Turpin, and I'm a historian at Baylor University. And you can maybe guess by that title, some of the things that I have been tempted to find my identity in over the years. Um, Most children seek to lean into those things that they get praised for. And when I was young, I was praised for two things overall, one being smart and one being good in the sense of being a rule follower. And I am smart and I do have a strong ethical core and those things are good. And that's not what's wrong in and of itself. What's wrong is that when I lean into that as an identity, uh, that causes certain kinds of side effect problems, like any form of idolatry would, instead of finding our identity in Christ. Um, a couple of things, when you are finding your identity in being like a good person, then I can be tempted to uh, do the right thing or the ethical thing in order to be accepted myself in order to feel like I'm a good person, instead of out of love uh, for God and for other people. And in finding my identity as being smart, uh, sometimes I would, um, at least one time, I ended up in a situation where I think I didn't befriend someone I could have had a very good friendship with because for whatever reason, I had come up with my identity as the smart woman instead of the smart person. I could have really gone either way. But so when there was this other one smart woman, particularly smart woman in my high school, I felt competitive with her instead of feeling like there was space for the both of us. So whenever we sort of make this alternate identity, instead of simply, you know, who we are in Christ, our source of identity, it can cause us to be competitive with others instead of forging relationships with others. Um, I overall have been very lucky on that point, actually, though, because in general, throughout my life, I did learn to appreciate other smart people and enjoy them, and there was room enough for the all of us um, in the world. But even still today, I can sometimes feel like if someone else is doing a better job within my career field than I am, then maybe that means I'm not measuring up to my potential and I start to feel guilty about that. And so there's always that temptation to compare myself with others uh, and to get my identity that way in what can ultimately be a harmful manner. So God has been at work in my life for a long time, um, trying to undo these false identities and replace them with his true one, which is to say his beloved, that I am a uniquely created person, um, that God 
thought up and created to be in relationship with him to the praise of his glorious grace, as it says in Ephesians. Uh, and he, I, God is still working on this, <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, we have made some progress. And I wanted to share a few things that the Lord has taught me over the years um, that have been helpful in placing my identity as his beloved, rather than in someone who has a set of characteristics like being good or being smart. And the first is that God is love. And God is love. That means it's his love for me is based in who he is, not who I am. So he loves me because he created me, because he loves me, <laughs> because I have placed my faith in Christ and I'm redeemed and I am in Christ and I am his child. Um, he simply loves me, period. And whenever I sin and am weighed down by guilt, I have only to look at the cross to remember that God was the one who moved towards me in love and he moved towards me while I was yet a sinner. And so I have not forfeited that love by sinning, um, but rather he longs for me to repent and, and be reconciled to him. The second is that my identity as his specially created beloved um, means that I have basically two jobs every day. The first is to fellowship with and enjoy God. And depending on our culture, we can very much see our job as like, we got to go do a thing for God. Like we got to go serve. And he's been working with me to realize my number one job every day actually is to simply spend time with him and to, to love him. It's the first greatest commandment to, to love the Lord, our God with all our heart, uh, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is the second thing um, that I have the job to do every day, which is to, in cooperation with God, let his love for me that's based in who he is overflow through me such that I can creatively serve other people in such a way that shows them what God is like and points them to his love, again, to the praise of his glorious grace. Uh, and so I know we all have are tempted to have many identities. Um, it could be like me being smart or being good. It could be that you are praised as a child um, for being pretty, for being funny, for being athletic. Um, any of these types of things um, that we can try to find our self-worth in. Um, I would encourage you to increasingly uh, join me on my journey that is still very much in progress in letting God's statement that we are the beloved, that we are his beloved, be the source of our identity. Um, you are beloved. And may the Holy Spirit continue to impress that reality ever deeper into your heart. Wow, what powerful words um, from Dr. Andrea Turpin. Those are beautiful lessons. We are the beloved of God. Um, we have been called his children. And what a beautiful reminder that we are called, first and foremost, to be with God. Um, as the name of our, our organizations sometimes will remind us, um, B.I., that we are called to, first and foremost, be with God and then live out of that being. Um, we now will hear um, the same question answered by Ella. Ella is in Ghana, and she is joining us from there to answer this question of comparison to others in our culture. How do the things that we tend to compare, like our bodies or our minds, our intelligence, our wealth, how does that affect the way that God sees us? Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. 
So as Dr. Terpin said earlier, often we tend to associate our identity with the things that we are physically, intellectually, and also how society defines us. And one thing that I have noticed over the years is the kind of insecurity that comes with womanhood, especially when we're talking about body size or body shape. All of these factors are things that sometimes draw us into a place of insecurity. And we tend to think that God sees us the same way our friend sees us. God sees us the same way our parents see us. But today we want to bring a clearer focus on who God made us and as he has made us to be. I am reading from Psalm 139, verse 13 to 15. I'm reading from the NIU version. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depth of the earth. The first part of verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. I want to end here. I like how the psalmist puts it, how he talks about the fact that he was naked. Irrespective of how you feel about yourself or how society sees you, here the psalmist brings to view the fact that you were naked, you were woven, intentionally woven the way you are just because God wants you to be so. I know that maybe through the fall and also associated risks of living in the world, you may have undergone certain deformities or some genetic variations that has caused you to somehow feel that God doesn't cherish you as you are. The Bible makes us to understand that even who you are now, despite the fall, despite all the genetic variations that has come up, every single thing that God made, when everything is put together, it presents you as good. When Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that all things work together for our good, I always see it from this perspective also that every imperfection that I see on my body, the good side that I see as well, the ugly, the beautiful, they all come together to make me who I am in Christ. And as a young lady, I think it is very important that we keep this in our minds, as ladies growing, as ladies in various aspects of our lives, it is very important we understand the God who created us, the God who knit us. You see how people weave. He was very intentional about your being. So none of the things that you find on you, your intelligence, your smartness, or any other thing associated with you clearly defines you as God does. When God created man in Genesis chapter one, he said that everything that he did was good. And yes, you are still good. Sometimes situations make us feel we're falling short of that standard. 
but no, you are still good. And that is where you should draw your inspiration. That is where you should draw your um, energy from. You should draw it from the fact that God made you and he made you so well. Base your identity on this fact and be bold and confident about this because God expects us to appreciate who we are and by doing that, we glorify him and we also show forth his beautiful works. All of creation praises God. Your intelligence, your beauty, and all that you are is to bring Christ into the world. Be safe and secure in who God has made you. Amen. Thank you, Ella. That was a beautiful, beautiful message. And I love the the way that you tied in um, both Psalm 139 and Romans 8, 28, thinking about how God wove us and knit us together, that weaving something is not, you don't just do that on accident. You don't just pick up a piece of thread and accidentally say, oh, I wove a tapestry. No, you, it's a very intentional um, process. And so God created us as well in a very intentional way. Thank you for, for sharing those thoughts. Um, and now I would like to share with all of you um, a piece of artwork that I created. And I will share as I share my screen and share the piece of art, I will talk about it and talk about how I created it, why I created it, what inspired it, and um, those pieces. Let's see. So this piece is one that I would title, if I had to give it a title, um, I would title it Remain as in remain in me and I will remain in you um, based on the passage in John 15. Um, so first I'm going to just talk a little bit about the piece. Um, so I chose to paint a grapevine um, for several reasons. First, it ties directly to the image that Jesus gives us of our identity. As I said, in, in John 15, um, secondly, I was recently on a pilgrimage, a trip um, to Italy where I walked along an ancient um, pilgrim route that Christians have followed for centuries. And as I was walking this route, I was surrounded by flourishing grapevines that drew my image, drew my mind to this image of this slow, earthy and tedious task that is, um, is tending vines, dressing vines. And to also the excitement that it produces when you see the fruits coming up on these vines. Um, I used watercolor um, as the style for my painting. And specifically, I chose to reflect on, on a piece of God's creation um, because this is a style that was inspired by another artist who also was a missionary. Um, her name was Lilius Trotter. I will um, share her name in the chat in case anybody wants to look up her art and her read about her life. Uh, later, she was an amazing woman and she had a deep, deep trust in God and a deep love for God. And she also painted with watercolor um, in a reflective way. And so my hope and goal in creating this piece is to capture and to meditate on a moment of God's grace and goodness as evidenced by just a sliver of his creation. I chose to focus in on a, a zoomed in view of just the vine with leaves and one branch with a few grape clusters in order to emphasize the relationship between those three things, the thick 
woody vine. It snakes up from the bottom left towards the right with the branch shooting off to the right in order to bring our eyes as the viewers throughout the piece to create movement. And there are also a few leaves that appear to almost be floating freely in the corners. They imply that there are more branches on this vine that we just can't see. And the grapes are also green. They are still in their growing phase. They're not yet ripe, um, but their shadows are done in purple and they are a foreshadowing of the harvest that is to come. A harvest that comes when the fruit um, remains in the vine, remains in Christ. And so now I'm going to read you guys um, John 15. It's a verses 1 through 2, also verses 4 through 5, and the beginning of verse 16 and 17. Um, I am the, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples about who they are and about who he is and who God is. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a woman remains in me and I in her, she will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is my command, love each other. So as I said, um, I was struck by the rows of grapevines I saw in Italy, and I noticed that as I, I hadn't really been around a lot of grapevines before this, and so as I kind of observed and as I looked at them, I realized that these are not flimsy vines. They aren't like ivy, you know, that is really a thin stem that's easily broken. Um, They are thick and they have likely been growing there for decades. They're woody. It's almost like a tree trunk. Um, And I was struck by the call that Jesus has for us as his followers to remain, to remain not just in one season, Sometimes we think of vines as only lasting a really short time and then that they die quickly. Um, But that's not so with grapevines. They remain and they continue to grow and produce fruit year after year. So we must remain in Christ, not just until we have all the nutrients we need to strike out on our own and become our own people. Um, No, this is a deep remaining that grows into stable roots. As branches on the vine that is Christ, we are carefully placed and trellised and pruned to strategically produce high quality fruit, not just showy leaves, because this is a truth from gardening is that if you let a vine trellis as far as it wants to, it will keep going and going and producing more and more greenery, more and more large leaves, but you have to cut off those branches that stray far from the vine from the main stem otherwise your fruit will not be productive you will get small little fruits Um, and so when when jesus talks about how sometimes the gardener has to prune the vine the same thing is true in our own lives we 
are called to bear fruit, to be beacons of Christ's love in this world, and yet that process can sometimes be painful. Fruit at its healthiest is most productive when the branches are pruned. Um, And so we are able to best produce fruit, the fruit of Christ's love, when the excess is stripped from our lives, when a vine has put out too many trails, it sends too many nutrients away from the fruit, um, and the showy leaves, they might look good. Our lives might look good when we are drawing nutrients from things other than Christ. We might look successful. We might look like we are making lots of money or have lots of friends or are outwardly beautiful, but those showy leaves are not going to help produce fruit. Um, and so the purpose of the vine is to produce fruit. So how, um, the question that I have in creating this piece and in reflecting on it is how can we as Christian women, as believers, how can we stay close to the vine, to that woody source of nutrients to Christ? Um, and how can we continue to find our identity in Christ? Um, and so I will now, um, hand it off to Megan. Megan is in Texas and she is going to share the answer, her answer to this question of how can I honor my identity in Christ in my everyday life? Good um, to see you all. And thank you so much, Jenny. Um, it's really about a process that we're going through in which God is just continuing to transform us every day. You can really see that with the vine. And so our question, uh, my question was, how can I honor my identity in Christ in my everyday life? Um, and today I want to talk about how we, um, how we can take eight practical steps towards walking like Jesus in our everyday life. And we are going to talk about how his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So in the next 10 minutes, we're going to be in 2 Peter 1. Um, If you have your Bibles and a journal, you may want to open to this passage or after the conference. If you want to look back at these attributes that are listed there, um, you can do that as well. And so 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, into godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about these eight qualities as eight steps towards walking out a godly life. And there's a very important order to these eight steps that is essential to walking like Jesus. Um, So now or later today, I took my journal. um, I just wrote, have to find the right page here. I wrote out these characteristics. And we're going to talk about them. So on the left side of the page, I wrote faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. We can take any attribute of God and live that attribute out 
by walking these eight steps. And today we will use the example of walking out the patience of God um, in these eight steps. So the question is, how do we become patient like God every day? So step one, we are going to start with our first step, which is faith. We must genuinely have faith that God is patient and with us. And maybe that's harder than it sounds. And there are times in our lives when we may struggle with guilt or shame. And when we think we're going to exhaust God, but to become patient like God, we must first have genuine faith that God is deeply patient towards us. We must soak in through faith God's patient towards us. And this is the most important step. If you are struggling with showing some part of God's character, it may be because you have not internalized through faith how he shows that part of his character to you. So how do we grow then in our knowledge of God's patience and become patient ourselves? And that brings us to step two, goodness. Goodness, we must approach God with faith and goodness. This word goodness in Hebrew also means virtue or purity. And we approach God like a child with purity as a child. And so we add to our faith this pure childlike goodness that God is going to help us understand his patience. So step three, knowledge. As we come to his word with faith and with childlike purity, we receive insights into his word about his patience. This step is a gift from him, the gift of understanding his word, but we are not to stop walking now that we have received our gift of knowledge. We must continue. And so step four is self-control. Now that we have this knowledge, we are to put it into practice. The knowledge God gives us will confront some part of our fleshly selves. When we receive new insight into the patience of God, for example, there is some place in our lives that has yet to live out that new insight of patience. And that is where self-control comes in. We must control ourselves to put into practice the new insight that we have received from God. Romans 8 tells us not to walk in the flesh, but rather to walk in the spirit. And notice the above qualities of faith and goodness and knowledge are all qualities between God and us. They're talking about our vertical relationship with God. But now that we have received this knowledge, it's time that we put it into practice. And we put this knowledge into practice also in our relationship with others. And so step five is perseverance. Self-control is never a one-time thing. I can almost guarantee you that God will lead you to persevere in practicing living out the knowledge you've gained of him. He will ask you to practice self-control over and over and walk out being more patient moment by moment, day by day, and week by week. We are to persevere in being patient like God. We are to persevere in the living out of the character of Jesus. I think many of us pause our walk here. We learn a lot about Jesus. We love his word. We love to receive the knowledge he gives us, but we are not as intentional at putting into practice the specific knowledge he's giving us. And if he is revealing specific knowledge of himself, it is for us to walk out that knowledge and to become more like him because he wants to transform our hearts. And that is what brings us to step six, godliness. When we were once in the flesh, 
Through self-control and perseverance in the divine knowledge he has given us, we have now become godly. Patience has become our own nature, and so we become godly, and we walk in godliness. Patience is no longer something that is painful for us to persevere in. It is now a godly part of ourselves we get to delight in. We now enjoy extending patience to others in a way we did not before. And at this step, living like God is delightful. We have persevered and our patience becomes natural to us. And we get to deeply commune with God in our own patience. Step seven, we now walk out patience as disciples of Jesus Christ by pursuing others in mutual affection through our patient nature mutual affection. Once patience has become your nature, God will use your patience to witness to others through the fruit of patience. And here is where we reach our final step, which is step eight, love. And God's love is agape love. God's love is this deep, unconditional love. And when we show deep, God-like, unconditional, spirit-led patience to those around us, It becomes a way in which we express the deep, unconditional, spirit-led, agape love to others. Love is patient. And so walking out these eight steps in your knowledge of Jesus Christ will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. There is so much knowledge of Jesus. Let us walk it out every day. And so later today, I just would like to encourage you to go to that chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1. And take a piece of paper or take a journal and write these qualities down on the left side of your paper. Um, And I want you to go to God this week and ask him what aspect of himself he would like you to walk out in your everyday life. And I'm going to do this as well. And I want you to journal about how he brings you through these eight steps. So with faith, when when you go to him in faith, Um, asking perhaps to know more about his joy, know about more of his love, or even just a specific encounter that Jesus had with somebody in his walk. Ask him for more of that knowledge and faith and goodness and see how he brings it out in your own life. So this month, be mindful of the aspect of Jesus that you are walking out. So watch Jesus and walk with him. Thank you. Thank you so much, Megan, for sharing and for calling our attention to this passage in 2 Peter. Um, It is an amazing thing to be reminded of what it is to to walk out um, our our faith in a really practical way, in these eight practical ways of patience, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, pursuing others in mutual affection, as well as this agape love um, that we obviously have to remain in the vine in Jesus to be able to show that kind of love because that is not natural for us as um, humans. So thank you for sharing that. And I will post um, those, those parts, those eight um, steps of pursuing our godly, pursuing a more godly nature. Um, I'll post those in the chat. So if you want to, um, copy and paste them so you can journal about them later as Megan encouraged you to, then I would, I would encourage you to do that. Um, and now we are going to actually take a short break. Um, but while we do that, I would encourage you, if you have any questions to 
go ahead and type them in the chat and please go ahead and ask questions. We would love to answer them because our next piece is a, a Q&A, a question and answer session, and um, we would love to have some questions to answer. See, there's a question on here. She says, hello, I'm a law student. Law is a very secular career area. It's true. My question is, how can I constantly be surrounded by unbelievers and still be motivated to live out the virtues of Christ? Wow, Victoria, that is a very good and um, sometimes very difficult question um, to answer. And I will go ahead and see if I can pass the mic um, to Cecily. Are you here? Yeah, that's a really complex question um, because it is a really hard um, but very true situation. I think many people really find themselves in. Um, I think we've heard a lot today about the importance um, of being rooted in Christ via scripture, right? We've heard ladies talk a lot about reflections um, of learning more about God, but also learning more about themselves. You know, I was hearing Ella um, and others in so many words saying that I dishonor God when I dishonor myself um, or what God is placing or doing within me. So um, I think a great place to start um, of just encouraging ourselves is finding some really creative ways of connecting with God um, through scripture and the ways we read and reflect on scripture. That can translate to our prayer life. I know I've um, experimented a lot with different creative ways um, of praying so that when I'm in moments um, that are very difficult, especially when maybe in conversations with people or in social situations um, where I'm trying to think very carefully about how to use my words um, or how to use my actions or what is what should I say or what should I leave unsaid? What's the most appropriate way to honor the person in front of me and also honor God? Um, and that's been in prayer practices. Sometimes um, when I'm feeling um, maybe frustrated or like I need to hold my tongue, I'll kind of clench my, my fists um, and then release them. I can do this in really subtle ways so no one really knows what's going on, but I, it's, it's really through my body, a way of me praying to God. It's like, I need to hold on, um, uh, hold back maybe from, from something, and then I'm going to really sit and give it to you, God. So um, I think experimenting with those things. Um, but then lastly, at church, our, our Christian community um, is where we're going to find a lot of encouragement, a lot of friends um, who are going to help us kind of on the journey, on the journey with God um, and learning how to live in the world. That's kind of the space where we're formed and nurtured and our faith. So uh, lean in deeply to Christian community wherever and however you can find it. Um, and those people who pray for you and read scripture with you um, will uh, do do good, good, good work in helping you learn to, to live well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, a wonderful answer. And I love the idea of finding creative prayer practices including you know using using your bodies that were given to you by God you know to do something like how do I hold on to what I don't need to say and then also release that you know I I find for myself personally um is that sometimes I, I a lot of times I like to pray with my my hands out and open so that I am physically telling myself that I'm receiving from God because 
you know, we tell kids to, to hold their hands like this so that they're not touching their neighbors and they're not distracted, which I see a lot of as I'm a children's minister. Um, so kids can't keep their hands to themselves, but as adults, we're a little, a little better at keeping our hands to ourselves. And so then we can maybe engage with God in a new way by, you know, offering, offering open hands to God and saying, how are you speaking to me? So I love, I love that idea of um, using your hands as a prayer practice or seeing how you can and live and in, live into your body in that way. Um, and then yes, of course, church community absolutely um, is a, a vital part of finding our identity and living that identity out. And um, I see Cortina's hand raised. Absolutely. I really want to respond to Victoria. Can you hear me, Jenny? I just want to make sure you guys can hear me. Okay, good deal. Uh, Victoria, I, I really want to encourage you to say congratulations. You're in a space that not many people are able to be in and to serve God. So I also work in a space that is secular um, and very political. And so oftentimes we can't express our faith as direct as we can when we are around church and we are in those spaces that are faith oriented. And so what I would like to to say is to give you some encouragement that those who are not of faith, they are watching you. And so this is a perfect time for you to live in the qualities that God has given you to be like him, the image of Christ. Because oftentimes we think that we're here just to show who we are to the church, but he has called us out to the world. So when you go out into the world, you be encouraged to be who you are, to lean on Christ, to say the things that you should say, and to operate in ethics, as well as treating those who are around you as you would, as Christ would treat them. And so I really want to just encourage you in that space to say, Congratulations. God trusts you enough to go out into a secular environment to be his chosen, to speak his word and to do his bid or his business. And so I think it's awesome. It's one of the things that I contend with every single day. And like Cecily said, I have to pray. You have to stay rooted in prayer. You have to stay in the scripture in order to go out into the world and to do what it is that he will have you to do. And so I encourage you. Absolutely. Thank you, Cortina, for sharing that. So another question um, that I would love for, let's see. I would love for Solange, if you're willing to answer this question, I would love for you to share um, as a Christian, how can I stop comparing myself to others when I live in a competitive culture? Yeah, um, hmm. I think as, as you say, just the way you think about others is what makes yourself, this is what uh, makes you compare yourself to others. If, if uh, you have a changed mindset of viewing everyone, not based on the external things, but based on the internal things, what is, supposed, what is supposed to be comparison or what is normally comparison becomes uh, admiration, if I may put it that way. Because whenever, I feel like whenever you choose to see the inner person, you will find something good about any person you meet. And what, instead of comparing yourself, you admire the person. And when it's positive, it's no longer a harmful kind of comparison. It's a kind of, oh, 
this person is so loving. How can I be loving as well? It's not like, how can I be better in loving? I don't think you can purpose to be better in loving from a, a negative, bad space. If, if, if you're really wanting to be loving and wanting to be kind, it's because you already have that good uh, intention in you, if that makes sense. So uh, I personally think the, the passage in Second Corinthians was, as I was reading, I was feeling like, wow, if I would pray and be able to change my point of view from the, the, the point of view from which I look at others and be able to see their inner person, their inside, and if they're Christians, that even better see who we are in Christ, like what, is, what we have in common in Christ, then instead of comparing myself, I, I strive to be like them, to imitate them. So I feel like for me, it's all about changing how I, how I view others then, and, and then it applies to how I view myself. That was my second point, because um, after I strive to see the good in them, then myself also think about myself based on the good in me, especially the good in Christ, like the good qualities I have in Christ and who I am in Christ. So it's, it's, it's no longer compare, comparing yourself, it's, it's learning from others. That's what I would say. Absolutely. Thank you, Swan, for sharing. Um, our time is getting close to the end here. Um, so I am, I will, I see Ella has her hand raised. So if you want to just share something um, shortly with us, Ella, and then we will, unfortunately, it's about time for us to wrap up and I want to respect everyone's time. Um, so I will, let's hear from Ella and then we'll wrap up. Thank you very much. I'd like to say that normally comparison sets in when we, we make the other people the standard. We try to create a standard in our minds saying that we have to hit this mark that a particular person is portraying before we feel good about ourselves. But as believers, we know that our, our all-time standard is Christ. Even if we work in the secular world, Everything that we are doing in there should be one that hits the mark of Christ. And I believe if we see our lives through that line, comparison will be reduced because we are not seeking to be just like any other man, but we are seeking to hit the point of Christ. If we have that in mind, we will admire other people because you will see that they are fully living out whoever they are up to the standard of Christ. And we are all on our way to being like Christ. So I think one way we can um, check the issue of comparison is to use Christ as a standard and the mark and no other person. Thank you. Amen, yeah. Um, I do think that it's pretty obvious from a lot of the things that have been said today that a lot of what we see is our identity um, a lot of that is shaped by our perspective um, and how we view the world. And when we are viewing the world through the lens of God, through the lens of Christ, um, as Andrea mentioned earlier about, you know, seeing ourselves as God's beloved, um, we are able to have a different mindset about 
who we are, but also about who other people are, right? And not compare ourselves and not say, well, I'm I'm more beloved than you, or I'm less beloved than you. When we see everyone as beloved in God's sight, it changes the way that we view others and the way that we view ourselves. Um, I, I'm also going to, before we wrap up, I do want to read, um, I don't know, I'm probably going to pronounce her name wrong. I apologize. Sidjana um, had an answer for Victoria as well, so I'm just going to read that out. She says, hi, Victoria. Thank you for sharing your question for the work you're doing in your study of the law. My husband and family members are unbelievers. And for me, being very intentional about finding like-minded community, even online, to do Bible studies with, being accountable, prayer, even a mentor or spiritual direction is important for me to not be isolated, to share and ask for spiritual support to be reminded that I am not alone and encourage and sharpen one another in the faith. Are there a body of believers, even there in your school, maybe a small number of people, or maybe you might be a light for someone else there as well. Just my thoughts. Thank you so much for sharing um, today. And I hope that each and every one of you has taken something away from this time. Um, I'm going to give us just a few seconds now um, to just reflect in, in silence and quiet about the ways that God might have been speaking to you um, about your identity, about who you are in Christ, about God's precious thoughts for you, about how we are defined as women as a special possession of Christ, um, about how we are called not to put our identity in false things, but in the true nature of who God has made us to be, about how our bodies were formed and knit together intentionally by God, about how we are carefully pruned and placed by the wonderful gardener who is God the Father, and we are to remain in Christ who is the vine, and also about those eight qualities that Megan mentioned earlier um, that we can live out through Jesus of patience, knowledge, goodness, self-control, perseverance, godliness, love, and pursuing one another in mutual affection. So I'm just going to give us a few seconds now, and I would just encourage you to to reflect on those things and reflect on what is God doing in your life? What invitation has God offered you today? And what do you plan to do about it? Just prayerfully consider that for a minute. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ways that you have showed us our identity and that it is in you and not in anything else that we are tempted to place our identity in. God, thank you that you have called us your beloved, that we are your daughters, we are your children. And because of the work that you have done for us in Christ Jesus, we can live lives that are beautiful invitations that show people who you are and that show people the grace and the mercy that you have for them. Lord, you have extended such wonderful mercy and grace to us today through all of the things that we have heard, through all of the wonderful questions and answers that have been shared. 
I pray for each and every woman who is here right now, who is listening or who will listen later on to the recording, that you would give her strength, that you would embolden her to share her faith, to be bold and confident in her identity as your beloved daughter, that she would step into all that you are calling her to do, Lord. We love you so much, and we thank you for being the God who has called us your beloved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
precious are your thoughts about me.